0: So Colossians 4, 7 through 9. How many of you know what a Sherpa is or who a Sherpa is? You think of them as these guys. You know, they're the ones that are helping carry those really, really heavy loads on any of the mountain expeditions that are happening around Mount Everest or K2. Uh, They're an ethnic group of people. So we think of them as primarily doing this, but they're an ethnic group of people. And uh, they are an essential part to any successful climbing expedition, especially in that part of the world. Uh, here's what one expert says about them. He says their packs are sometimes heavier than their bodies. says Norman Hegland, a muscle physiologist of Belgium's University de Louvain. He says, "Think a 150-pound pack on a 125-pound man." That's a lot of weight on a little guy. Sherpas have natural adaptions to be able to be doing this work, having lived at altitude and grown up. at altitude, your body just starts to adjust to that environment, so cyclists will sometimes do that, will train. I haven't, but other people have, I've heard. They will uh, sleep at altitude or sleep in a pressurized tent to get their body used to being at altitude, because what it does is help your body to better process oxygen. It helps your heart be able to pump that blood and oxygen better through your body, through your muscles. So these Sherpas having lived at altitude, grown up their entire lives, they have some abilities that I don't have or you and I living basically here at sea level don't have to be able to hike through those mountains. They are so, so important to any successful trip, whether they are going ahead and checking out the trail, they are setting up base camp, they're carrying one of those enormous packs. I couldn't do that. I know I couldn't do that. And yet this guy's going to get up here and just, you know, in just a bit pick up one of those packs and carry on. They are so, so important for the success of a trip. And so, too, in ministry, you need faithful, reliable people to come alongside you, to be able to shoulder those heavy loads along with you, to guide you, to lead you, to be an encouragement with you. And Paul's going to talk about two people who have been a help to him and an encouragement to him. So the first person we'll look at this morning is Tychicus. He's been a seasoned veteran with Paul. So let's read verses 7 through 8. Verses 7 through 8 of Colossians 4 says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Tychicus is Paul's go to guy. Paul can rely on Tychicus to get the work done. He knows he's going to do it right. He knows he's going to do it well. Paul doesn't have to think twice about whether or not Tychicus is going to get the job done the way it needs to be done. So where do we see Tychicus, though? This isn't the first time that he shows up in Scripture. Uh, As we look through the rest of the New Testament, there's quite a few places where Tychicus shows up. First place we see him is in Acts 20, verse 4. Paul is in Greece So, Acts is that account of all the different journeys that he's taking. We get to see kind of a big-picture view. The letters give us more insight into the the actual places he's gone to, but Acts gives us that big-picture view of everywhere that he's traveled, all the way through. So, he's in Greece at the moment when he finds and meets Tychicus. Maybe that's where Tychicus first came to know Christ as his Savior. He's from the province of Asia, so he's a Gentile. And he then joins Paul on his missionary journeys from that point forward, and they go on to Troas, is the place they go to next. And it's in Troas where that story of Eutychus happens. Some of you remember the story of Eutychus, where Paul goes to Troas, they go up into that building, they're up on, must have been at least the second story or higher, and Paul starts preaching and he preaches, and he preaches, and he preaches, and Eutychus is a young man, and he's sitting in the window, and he falls asleep. Paul has been preaching so long that he falls asleep, falls out of the window, and he dies. But God works through Paul, does a miracle. He goes down, raises Eutychus back up. He's alive again. They go back upstairs, and Paul keeps on preaching through the rest of the night. So, if you ever feel like Mark and I are preaching too long, I'm going to send you back to this story, and you can read that and say, okay, it's not so bad. Uh, But that's, that's one place where we see Tychicus. He's part of that crew that was there with Paul as this is happening. We see him in Ephesians on chapter 6 verse 21 he's part of the crew that brought the letter to the Ephesians he's also the one who's bringing the letter here to the Colossians and then we see him also going along with Onesimus to Philemon bringing that letter to Philemon we see him in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 but it's a little bit more of a bleak picture there because there's Paul he's in prison now he feels alone he's getting older he's he's Uh, just needing more help. He's wanting help and support, but he needs to send these different guys out, these fellow servants out to achieve different things, reaching out to different churches and different uh, missions, opportunities that they have to go and travel. And here's Paul all alone, and he sent out all of his friends, and Tychicus is mentioned as one of those people. We see him in Titus, and it's either Tychicus or Artemis is another worker along with Tychicus that goes to Titus and the church that he's at. And then Titus is to come back with whichever one of them Had brought that letter to him. But you can see uh, Tychicus is a very, very faithful man. He's counted on by Paul to go all over the place to achieve all kinds of different missions and goals and purposes. He's very reliable. He's a very, very proven, reliable person. But not only is he proven and reliable in his service, but he's also got a proven character. He has a proven character. And as we look at Scripture over and over and over again— We see God, Christ, emphasizing our character over our actions. Emphasizing our character over our actions. God wants our heart to be right. He wants you to be right and changed and transformed according to his life, that he works within you according to his word, before we seek to focus just on getting those actions right. Because that's what religion does. Religion says, do the right things, and then you'll be the right person. Do the right things, and then you fit in with the club. Do the right things, and then you're going to earn God's love. But it's not that way with Christ. It's not that way with Christ. He seeks to transform your heart, to transform your life to transform your character, and then those things are going to follow. Those right actions will fall out of and be a natural outcome of that transformed life within you. That's why Jesus can say the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Get that part right first. Love God first with all of you, every ounce of your being. Put Him first in the right place because that's the transformative work of Christ working in you and then working through you that then you can love your neighbor as yourself. So yes, Jesus is very concerned about our actions, but He's more concerned that our character be right. We be transformed, and let that transformative life of Christ be seen in us, change us from the inside, and then it is seen on the outside. People are going to see that dramatic change that's in you, that unwavering love for God, and that's going to shape your actions, that's going to impact everyone around you so we can't get the cart before the horse we can't focus just on those actions and then hope that the character is going to follow we got to follow what jesus does and he focuses on our hearts The change on the inside is just naturally going to overflow, and it's going to be quick. It's going to be seen right away. The change within you is going to be just visible to everyone. Tychicus had that proven reliability, but he had that proven character. That transformative life of Christ was working in him and working through him, and here's how he's described by Paul. He's described as a beloved brother. He's a loved and trusted fellow brother alongside Paul, part of that family of God. They're brothers serving together. They've been through a lot of stuff together. By the time Colossians and this letter is going out, they've been through some heavy, hard stuff together. We don't know all the trips that Tychicus took with Paul, and we can read about Paul's trips that he took and just the incredible things that happened to him and how God brought him through shipwreck and prison and earthquakes and beatings and all of those things. And I don't know if Tychicus was there for every single one of those. But we know they've been through some stuff together. We know they've been through a lot of life and a lot of ministry. And if you've ever served with anybody, whether it's on a short-term missions trip or raking lawns for people in the neighborhood or it's serving in some ministry here on a Sunday morning or throughout the week or whatever the case may be, going to Panama to bring materials to pastors, there's a special bond that you develop with those people that you serve with because you're unified in your service to Christ. You have a brotherhood. You have a bond. And Tychicus is a beloved brother to Paul and then to everyone else that he's serving alongside too. He's an encouragement to them, and we'll look at that in just a moment. He's also also a faithful minister. He's reliable in his serving. He can be trusted to serve well, and he's proven this by this point in serving with Paul. But he also would have remembered very clearly and very carefully who it was he was truly serving. Who was he really serving and ministering to? Yes, he was serving Paul and ministering with him, and he was ministering to those churches, but it was first to Christ. He was first a faithful minister of Christ, because if the different people that he worked with somehow fell away and no longer follow Christ, which some of them will. We're going to look at that next week of people that are mentioned here that at this point are doing great, but we find out later they fell away. Or if Paul himself somehow ended up out there in left field somewhere teaching something that wasn't right, Tychicus could still stay faithful as a faithful minister because he remembered who he served first, and that was Christ. That's who he served. That's who he was faithful to, faithful to Paul, but first to Christ. Same thing for Pastor Mark and I and any of the elders or anyone else that's doing ministry. You have to remember who you serve first, because I've only been doing this work for maybe about 11 and a half years now, and that's not really all that long in the grand scheme of life. And over those 11 years of ministry, I have seen more ministry failures than I care to count or remember of people that I have known personally or people that have been some of those big spiritual uh, celebrities that we look up to, those big people that are just known. They're in the news when something goes wrong. I've seen more of those than I care to remember. Same thing for Pastor Mark. If we're not first grounded in who we're serving, that our calling doesn't come from any one church. We are so glad to serve here and the calling that you have given us as pastors. But our calling first comes from Christ, and that goes far beyond any church or any ministry. Because if our grounding is not first in Jesus, and His calling to our lives, and His calling to faithfully share His Word, then we are just one ministry failure away, whether our own or someone else's, and saying, this is too hard, I can't do this, and going off and doing some other type of work. But our ministry is first grounded in Christ. We to be faithful ministers to him. Tychicus would have remembered that. He's faithful to Paul. He's faithful to those churches, but he's faithful first to Christ. He's also a fellow servant. So he's a beloved brother, faithful minister and a fellow servant. He's a faithful bond servant of Christ, along with Paul. Remember we, we talked about a bond servant being somebody who was a slave. But they had an opportunity to have their freedom, and they said, no, it is better to be with my master, to be his slave, than to be free, and I want to be a bondservant and be identified with him. And they would have had their ear pierced, and as their ear was pierced, it would have shown that I am a bondservant of my master. It is better to be his slave than to be off on my own. Antichicus was a bondservant of Christ, along with Paul, along with the other uh, missionaries and leaders that went with him. But he was a bond servant of Christ to serve the Lord. And he would have seen that in Paul. Perhaps he first saw that in Paul. And he saw that and he said, I want that too. I want to be identified with Christ. And he went way beyond just getting the t-shirt. He also got the tattoo. Couldn't go back from there. He belonged to Christ. He wanted to identify with Christ as a beloved brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant. He had a proven reliability. He was a seasoned veteran. He had that proven character, and he had a very important mission to achieve for Paul. His purpose and his mission was to go encourage the, encourage the hearts of the Colossians, to let them know, here's what God's doing, to bear a message to them, and then to bear the fruit as he gave that message to them, as they heard what was happening. So in verse 7, here's what's happening. Uh, verse 8 is where we'll read, but then we'll go back to verse 7. It says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 7 says that he'll tell you all about my activities. So that's what Tychicus and Onesimus are going to do, to tell all about Paul's activities. Uh, what, what, we, what we can't get out of that is that, you know, Paul's not saying, Hey guys, I took this great prison yoga class. Or, hey, I have this great basket weaving class, or I'm working on my welding uh, certificates and getting certified. So when I get out of prison, I've got another career option. He's not talking about those things. A better way to understand that might be to report uh, a full report of how I'm getting along. They want to know how Paul is. They really want to know what's going on with you, Paul. How are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, they just want to know the details of what's going on with him there in prison because this church early on was commended by Paul as having a great love for the saints, a great love for fellow Christians. They just want to know, how are you doing, Paul? I want to know how he's doing here, everything that's going on. And that's why Tychicus and Onesimus are going, that they might encourage the church. They might be able to share everything that's going on. They might know how they are And just give them that full report of, here's everything that's going on. Here's what God is doing. So not only are they hearing, here's how Paul is. Yes, he's okay. Yes, he's doing all right. But they're also hearing, here's a big picture of what God's doing within his church. Because I can't imagine Tychicus and Onesimus walking up. They've got their letter. They stand up there. They read their letter and say, that is all, and put it down and walk away you got to imagine that they were there talking with people afterwards. They were talking with people before. Maybe they had some kind of potluck dinner after they shared the letter. I don't know. But you got to imagine that as they're sharing with people, just the overflow of the incredible things that God was doing must have just poured out of them of saying, here's what's going on. Here's, here's this letter. This is what we know was said. But you got to imagine they share just the incredible stories of here's what God's doing. Here's a big picture. Here's what happened on our way here to you. Here's what's happened on some of those other journeys that doesn't show up in the letter. Here's the big picture of what's going on, how God's working through Paul. No, we can't get out and do a whole lot, but here are the people that are coming to him. Here are the letters that he's writing. They get to see a big picture of the fact that it's God that's working, even though Paul is in prison. The word's not bound. Jerry and Kirsten sharing with us this morning. And they're doing something similar to what Tychicus was doing. Tychicus was going on behalf of Paul to share, here's what's happening. Here's how we are. Here's how Paul is. Here's what's going on in the big grand scheme of things. So Jerry and Kirsten do the same thing, sharing for Camp Good News. We find out how they are. We find out how the work is going in CEF. And we find out what's happening in their lives personally. So, Jenny and I had the same opportunity when we worked for CEF, being able to go to different churches to be able to share, here's what's happening in our lives, here's what's happening in the CEF of Southern Maine, here's what's happening in a big grand scale of CEF around the world. Just giving an update to encourage people and say, look what God is doing. Here's all those campers that came, and look what God did in their lives. So, Tychicus has that chance to be that encouragement to be able to go, to be able to share the big picture of here's what God is doing. So are you a Tychicus? As you think of this for yourself and you think, how do I apply this to me? Paul's just talking to about two different people. How do I apply that for myself? Are you a Tychicus? Could you be described as a beloved brother or sister, as a faithful minister or a fellow servant? Could you be described that way? No. The body of Christ has many, many different members. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that, how just our physical body has so many different parts that work together, that when they all function properly, all working together makes the body function as it should. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. We have so many different parts that each of us play. No two of us look exactly the like in how we function, how we serve, the gifting that we have, but all of us are so so important in building up this body. And as you are using your gifts and ability that God has given you within this church, you can be a beloved brother or sister. You can let that that transformative work of Christ overflow out of you that transformed life of Christ within you and the joy that comes from that overflow then into how you interact with others and be a beloved brother or sister or faithful minister or a fellow servant. You have a gift to be used and you've been placed here on purpose and you can use that. It's not gonna look the same for you as it does for me or the person beside you. It's gonna look different, but this ought to be a goal for every single one of us is that we're using those gifts to be a blessing to the people that are around us. Just like Tychicus, let that transformative work of Christ overflow through him. God had changed his heart, changed his mind, changed his character, and that overflowed then into how he operated and how he functioned and the joy that he spread to people. It would have been one of those just contagious things. I know you've been around those people that they just overflow with joy. Some Christians, though, we don't overflow with joy so easily. Sometimes we hide that. Sometimes we don't show that real great. Uh, Dr. Ron Blue was somebody that Johnny and I got to hear in CEF. He described people as looking like they were uh, Christians, sometimes looking like they were weaned on a dill pickle. They just had a sour expression on their face. Some of you, this not Napoleon Dynamite. Some of you know who that is. That's not who that is. Some people look that way, and they feel that way, and as Christians, we give off this sour expression and this sour demeanor. That shouldn't be how we are. We ought to overflow with joy. We have the transformative life of Christ within us. And it ought to overflow into how we interact with people. How we serve the Lord, but then how other people interact with us then. As a beloved brother or sister, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. That's what Tychicus was like. He was able to be an encouragement then to the churches and it just overflowed out of his life. He couldn't keep that in. The transformative life of Christ had transformed him. He was a seasoned veteran. But there was also then a transformed son. Let's look at verse 9. It says, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So I was talking through uh, just as I was preparing for this sermon, I was talking through someone, or talking with someone about this and thinking through just how would I just really give a good illustration of the impact of the transformative life of Christ in somebody's life. And they let me share their testimony of what God did in their life. Here's what, here's what this person wrote for me. They wrote, "'Growing up, my primary concern was myself, friends, and fun. I was often getting into fights and even trouble with the law.'" As a teenager i began to drink and experiment with drugs which eventually led to me committing five felonies when he broke into somebody's home and he robbed them he was on probation and drug and alcohol counseling his parents felt hopeless while in the military that life continued for so many the military life transforms our lives and turns them around didn't for this guy it just continued there in the military Uh, to the point where he said he was going out and drinking with his friends and he'd black out and they'd have to tell him what he did the night before. Then he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, his life was transformed so dramatically, not even close to the same person that he was before. And as a result of the transformative life of Christ in his life, he went on to Bible college, Graduated Bible college, got married. He said he's going to be married 20 years this coming June. Has a great daughter, wonderful family. He's pastoring a local church not too far from here. It's Pastor Mark. (laughs) So some of you have heard some of those parts of his story, and he gave me permission to share this even though he's on vacation. He's probably watching. Maybe he is. Uh, he, He knew I was going to be sharing this this morning. That's the transformative life of Christ in somebody's life. How dramatic is that from where he was before, before Christ, to who he is now? And he didn't mind me sharing how dramatic of a change that is as a result of Christ working in him and through him. And you and I are blessed because of that transformative life. That transformation from who he was before Christ in his sin, the old man, to after Christ, that transformative work within him, that new life that then overflows, and you and I get the the joy and the blessing of being able to know Pastor Mark and being a part of his ministry. So here we have Onesimus, another man that's a transformed life, a transformed son. But let's let's take a look again at verse 9. Here's what it says about him. Our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you? They'll tell you everything that has taken place here. If we didn't have any other further knowledge or understanding of the New Testament or any of the other books that follow, that's a really good description. He's a faithful and beloved brother, and he's one of them. He's from Colossae. So that's a great description. That sounds good. That's a lot like Tychicus. So, amen, that sounds awesome. We want Onesimus going with Tychicus to bring this encouraging letter to this church and to the other churches that they're going to connect with on the way. That's fantastic. Um, Hendrickson, in his... Commentary says this is a holy, reliable guy. You could trust Onesimus. And if that's all we knew about Onesimus, fantastic. But we do know a little bit more about Onesimus. We do know a little bit more about him. And we're going to flip over to the book of Philemon. Go ahead and turn over there. We're going to take a look at that. You get a a two-for-one this morning. The book of Philemon is very short. There are no chapters. It's just a very, very short letter to Philemon and the church that's there. And we find out that Onesimus is not the great little church kid we thought he was, that he sounds like in Colossae. He's not that great little church kid that went from Awana then to Good News Club and Sunday school and had a little halo that he kind of floated around by as he went through the church blessing everybody he went past. He had a past, There was a backstory to Onesimus that we would never know just reading Colossians. We have to go to Philemon to find out some of that backstory. Because in Colossians, Paul's not concerned about telling us who Onesimus was in the flesh. He's concerned about telling us who Onesimus is now because of the transformative life of Christ within him. That's what he's conveying. That's what he's showing us. Here's who Onesimus is not who he was. But we get to find out just a little bit more about him. We get to find out where did he come from? What happened to him? How did God work in him? How did God transform that character and nature of who Onesimus was? Because that's, that's what God is concerned about, not just transforming our actions. He's worried about transforming our hearts changing us from the inside out, letting his transformative life work in us and work through us and overflow into the rest of our lives. And then those things we do will be transformed because of that life of Christ within us, because Jesus always goes deeper than just our actions. He always goes deeper. That's why in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, he's able to stand there and say to everybody who's listening, you've heard it said, and he goes on to mention some teaching of the elders or, or something from the scribes and the Pharisees. You've heard it said, and then he follows it with, but I say to you. And he always takes that hard thing for them to do. It was always something that was difficult. You had to be very spiritual to be able to fulfill those things, that you've heard it said and then follow that law. Jesus takes it deeper and he goes to the heart behind it. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Okay, so don't murder people. But Jesus says, if you even are... are say in your heart that you hate your brother, that's the same as murder. Jesus takes it that next step further. He cares more about that heart transformation, that heart change, than just your actions being right, because he knows that if your heart is transformed, that new life of Christ is within you, that's going to show itself in the way that you live. He always goes deeper. So let's go a little bit into Philemon and just see what's happening here with Onesimus. So a very short letter, and we see Aphia and Archippus also being addressed here at the start of this letter in the church that's in their home. Uh, Aphia might have been his wife. That's what scholars believe, that, that Aphia was Philemon's wife. And then Archippus is also mentioned. Um, could have been their son. Not totally certain, but might have been their son. Very well could have been the elder that was in charge of the church that met in their home, that would line up with what Paul says in in Colossians 4.17, where he says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. So either way, this letter is written to the church there. It's written to Philemon. It's a public letter, so Philemon can't pretend he didn't hear it and didn't get the letter and everything that Paul says in that letter to him. We can understand that Philemon was likely a wealthy slave owner, That was part of Roman culture at the time, to own slaves. We don't know how many he had. He at least had Onesimus. And as we think of slavery today and the horrible thing that it is, it might have looked a little different for the uh, Roman slaves. As horrible as it was then, they did have some rights. They did have the ability to buy back their freedom. Onesimus might have been simply working off a debt that he owed or his family owed, But either way, he was there working for Philemon. He was his slave until he had, uh, for whatever period of time it was, if he was working off a debt, uh, he would have been there until that was paid off. And he then ran away from Philemon. So he runs away. It's very likely that he uh, also stole something from Philemon. So here he is running away. He's a slave. He's on the run. He's Philemon's property. And according to Roman law, Philemon could have gone and just collected his property however he wanted to. So he was legally Philemon's property. So he can go reacquire his property however he needs to. But then Onesimus met Paul, and everything changed. Then he heard the gospel, and his life Was transformed. And here in verses 8 through 16 or through 17, here's what we see Paul saying to Philemon. And you can look at the verses ahead of this. Maybe that's your homework is to go through the rest of this short letter and just read those different uh, parts of the letter we don't get to cover as we talk this morning. But in verses 4 through 7, Paul really butters him up, saying, Oh, I'm so thankful for you and your love for the saints. I'm so thankful for how you've encouraged the church. You're such a great guy. And then he leads into verse 8, which says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ, so he's really laying it on heavy, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment, His, his spiritual father. He led him to Christ, so he's his spiritual father. Onesimus is his spiritual son. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's indeed useful to you and to me. So one thought is that Onesimus means useful, but he wasn't very useful to Philemon. So now he's both useful to Paul, but also to Philemon as he's going back. says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that He might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me." So he's, he's laying it on there pretty heavy. Everybody knows here's what Philemon is now going to have to do to respond to what Paul wrote in this letter about Onesimus. And what happened in Onesimus' past is part of his story. That is part of his story. But it didn't define him anymore. Being a runaway slave, probably a thief, did not define him anymore. Christ defined him. It was Christ that defined him. And in Colossians, again, we never see any mention of the fact that that was his past. Because Paul's not concerned about saying, here's who he was. He was one of them. Very likely, they knew just exactly who Onesimus was. And they knew very likely just exactly what he did. But that doesn't define him anymore. That transformative life of Christ within him is what defines him. He was changed, a totally different person from who he was when he left Philemon to who he is now as he's bringing this letter back to Philemon and to the church that's there. But how quick are we at times to look at somebody, to look at somebody's life? Maybe we know who they were before Christ, or we know their backstory, and we look at them and say, whether we say it out loud or we just think it, we say, what can they do for Christ? What can they do? That was their past. That's what they were like. How in the world can they do anything for Jesus? And whether we say that out loud or we just think it, that's not just doubting that person. At its heart, that's doubting Christ and doubting the transformative, total transformation that he can make in somebody's life to totally turn them around from who they were to transform them into who they are now now, because when we are in Christ, we're not who we once were. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is so helpful for this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's who we are in Christ. When we have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior for the forgiveness of our sins, we are a new creation The old you is gone. It does not exist anymore. You may still have consequences that you've got to deal with of having lived that past. You may still have to deal with that. Onesimus still had to go back to Philemon. Maybe there were some things he had to deal with going back that had to be taken care of. Paul himself even talks about if there's a debt that's owed, I will pay it. And he says, you can trust me, I will pay it. So there might have been some some repercussions as he goes back, just natural consequences of the way that he lived Maybe the same is true for you, but you're not who you once were. And Jesus and God the Father will never drag those things back up to accuse you of what once was, of who you were, because your sin debt that described you, that was stapled to you, it was the debt that you owed because of your sin was fully and completely paid for on that cross. We just talked last week at Easter. Jesus is saying, it is finished. He completely and fully, completely paid the price for our sin. Done, gone, finished, paid for, and then rose again. Our sin is covered. Our sin is paid for. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, that receipt that showed what you owed is gone. He took care of that. And he's never going to drag that back up to show you, see, you owe this still. See, you have not yet paid this. You deserve this. None of that. God the Father will never bring that back up because you are not the old man you were. Your debt has been paid, and behold, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. You're not who you were. You've been transformed. You have that new life in Him, and that overflows into how you interact with everybody else around you, and you don't have to drag those things back up in your life. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we want to drag those things about who we were in the past back up and dwell on those things and say, oh, I feel like I've got to, you know, if only I, if I can just do this and make up for that way back, you don't have to because it's paid for. You're not who you were. You're a new creation. Onesimus is coming back to Philemon. He's not the same man he was. He's not the same person that he was. He has that transformative life of Christ going flowing through him. He still had to go back to Philemon, his same old master, but he wasn't the same old Onesimus. He might have had to deal with some repercussions going back, but he was never going to be accused by God the Father because he'd been forgiven. He had been transformed. And in Christ, this man who once was a runaway slave, probably a thief, breaking the law, had been transformed and changed. And now he's a beloved brother, transformed by the work of Christ in his life, declared righteous in, in God's eyes. So we can't go any further in this part of our sermon without going back first to Colossians 1, 21 and 22, and remembering where we were when we started the book of Colossians, that transformative life working in us. Here's who we were before. It says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's who we were. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's who we are in Christ. That's who Onesimus was in Christ. And now Paul can say he's a beloved brother alongside with Philemon, fellow servants of god fellow servants bond servants of christ and paul's already addressed earlier on in this letter both slaves and masters you both serve christ he's a transformed man he's not who he was in god's eyes he's transformed he's holy he's righteous and he bears the righteousness of christ what's happening with paul Here's what's happening in our lives. Here's the big picture of what God's doing in these churches. And here's how he's building his church. No longer a useless slave of men, but now he's a priceless servant of Christ, useful for the building up of God's church. And I have no idea what's happening in your lives this morning. Some of you, I know some of your past. Um, Most of you, I don't know all of that, and, and I don't know all of your past for any of you. There's always those pieces that we hide and we keep and hold within ourselves. But I know Christ knows that. I know he sees that. And maybe your past brought you in life to where you were, but is your new transformed life in Christ who will transform where you go and change where you go from now on? Maybe your old way of living, your old life brought you to where you were, but that transformative life of Christ changes you. It transforms you, and you don't have to live in that past anymore because you are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're not defined by who you were in the past. Now you are defined by Christ. It is his life that defines you and if you've never trusted in jesus christ as your savior you've never trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins he wants you to have that new life that free gift of salvation that is offered to all of us to just take to just receive that free gift that offer of salvation our debt our sin debt totally and completely paid if you've never done that before oh what a day to do that today would love to talk with you about what that means to have your faith in Christ, to have your sins forgiven, to have that transformative life of Christ within you. Two faithful men, two men transformed by Christ who allowed themselves to be used. Tychicus being that seasoned veteran, letting that life of Christ transform him, to reshape him, and then to be a blessing to all of those that he interacted with. And then you have Onesimus, the transformed son, just brand new in the Lord, and yet already being seen as being beloved and a faithful minister, serving alongside Paul and Tychicus, encouraging the church. Let God use you. I don't know where you're coming at from this morning, but you can let his life transform you. Let that transformative life of Christ in you define who you are, and then let that overflow into the world, and as you interact with the people around you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just both examples here, Lord. It's, it's encouraging to be able to look at somebody's life who has been faithful and served faithfully and been a seasoned veteran and how they stayed strong and true because they let you transform them And it didn't matter if others fell away, they were faithful to you. They stayed strong and focused on you. And then to see somebody so brand new in their faith and such a past and so much going on, but they were transformed so dramatically different because of your life in them. Father, I pray that we might let our lives be transformed by you as your word fills our hearts, transforms our minds. I pray then that it would overflow into how we interact with this world and they might see you, Jesus.